You've most likely already heard the story of the Christmas ham. It's a story that's uh, a favorite among us preachers. So I'm going to share it with you this morning. One year, as a mother prepared to put the Christmas ham in the pan, she cut a piece off the end. Her daughter was watching and she asked, Mom, why do you do that? The mother thought for a moment and replied, You know, I'm not sure. All I know is that's how my mother always did it. So the daughter went to her grandma and she asked her if it was true that she always cut off a piece of the Christmas ham. And if so, why? Her grandma said, Well, I never had a pan big enough to hold the whole ham, so I just had to cut off the end to make it fit. We are creatures of habit. We, we cling to our traditions, especially in the church. And we are often guilty of um, defending our stubbornness and our resistance to change by using that phrase, but I've always done it this way. This morning we are continuing our sermon series called Toxic Christianity as we've been looking at some of the toxic behaviors that we experience inside and outside the church. And this morning we're going to be exploring the toxic behavior of stubbornness. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Acts chapter 11 verses 1 through 18. The news traveled fast and in no time the leaders and friends back in Jerusalem heard about it heard that the non-Jewish outsiders were now in. When Peter got back to Jerusalem, some of his old associates, concerned about circumcision, called him on the carpet. What do you think you're doing rubbing shoulders with that crowd, eating what is prohibited and ruining our good name? So Peter started from the beginning. I laid it out for them step by step. Recently I was in the town of Joppa praying. I fell into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a huge blanket lowered by ropes at its four corners came down out of heaven and settled on the ground in front of me. Milling around on the blanket were farm animals, wild animals, reptiles, birds, you name it, it was there. Fascinated, I took it all in. Then I heard a voice, go to it, Peter, kill and eat. I said, oh no, master, I've never so much as tasted food that wasn't kosher. The voice spoke again, if God says it's okay, it's okay. This happened three times, and then the blanket was pulled back up into the sky. Just then three men showed up at the house where I was staying, sent from Caesarea to get me. The Spirit told me to go with them, no questions asked. So I went with them, I and six friends, to the man who had sent for me. He told us how he had seen an angel right in his own house, real as his next-door neighbor, saying, Send to Joppa and get Simon, the one they call Peter. He'll tell you something that will save your life. In fact, you and everyone you care for. So I started in talking. Before I'd spoken half a dozen sentences, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as He did on us the first time. I remember Jesus' words, John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, if God gave the same exact gift to them as to us when we believed in the Master, Jesus Christ, how could I object to God? Hearing it all laid out like that, they quieted down. And then, as it sank in, they started praising God. It's really happened. God has broken through to the other nations, opened them up to life. The Cambridge Dictionary defines stubbornness as the quality of being determined to do what you want and refusing to do anything 
else, or the quality of being difficult to move, change, or deal with. As Christians, we are a people who are steeped in tradition. We love a good tradition. In the church, we have traditions all around us. And some of those traditions are really good and important, and they remind us of who we are and where we have come from. And then other traditions can sometimes become toxic over time. Um, sometimes we get to a point where we're cutting off the end of the Christmas ham and we don't know why. And if somebody else comes in and challenges our old traditions, then we can react and we can have an, a negative reaction to that sometimes. Rather than asking ourselves the question, why do we do this? Instead, we respond, we're just going to keep doing it because we've always done it that way. As Jeannie Daniel Duck once said, don't make today's innovations into tomorrow's sacred cows. In our scripture lesson this morning, we see that the early Christians are concerned with some of the things that Peter has been up to. He is guilty of eating with the non-Jewish outsiders. He's guilty of rubbing shoulders with the Gentiles. He's going against the Jewish tradition. So Peter has to explain himself. He, he begins to recount what has taken place the past few days. And it all started with a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. He and his family were devout. They prayed to God regularly. He was a good man who helped people who were in need. And through the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, Cornelius, who is a Gentile, becomes acquainted with Simon Peter, who is a Jewish Christian. And at first glance, these two traditions seem to have deep divisions. Jews and Gentiles live very different lives. They have very different cultures. They have very different practices. However, these two unlikely characters, Cornelius and Peter, find themselves together through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. These two men cross boundaries. They've um, come together. They cross these, these boundaries that have been set up by the culture. And it's only through this act of God that these two men would ever have crossed each other's paths. And this is a monumental event in the life of the church because this changed everything. Cornelius and his family are in Caesarea by the sea when an angel of the Lord calls for him to send for Simon Peter. Simon Peter, on the other hand, is in Joppa praying on a rooftop. And as he prays, he becomes very hungry. And he does what, what happens to many of us when we experience hunger and we begin to fall asleep. He begins to dream of food. While deep in prayer, Peter has this vision of food. He sees a smorgasbord of food that he is not allowed to eat. In this vision, he sees a white sheet come down from heaven with all these four-footed animals, with reptiles, with birds and pigs. And I guess you could say that's the beginning, really, of pigs in a blanket. Uh, but as this sheet comes down, this blanket comes down with all of these animals, a voice calls out from God. God's voice calls out to Peter and says, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
And Peter, he's shocked. He begins to protest. He says, no way. I've never eaten anything impure before or unclean before because Peter was a devout Jew. He had taken the dietary laws very seriously. He knows the rules. And in Leviticus, God said to Moses and Aaron, you may not eat any animal that has completely split hooves and chews the cud. You may not, however, eat the following animals that have split hooves or that chew the cud, but not both. The camel chews the cud, but does not have split hooves, so it is ceremonially unclean for you. The rock badger chews the cud, but does not have split hooves, so it is unclean. The hare chews the cud, but does not have split hooves, so it is unclean. The pig has evenly split hooves, but does not chew the cud, so it is unclean. You may not eat the meat of these animals or touch their carcasses. They are ceremonially unclean for you. These are just a few of the many, many dietary restrictions that God gives to God's people long ago. And Peter is not yet willing to turn his back on all of those years of tradition, even though he's hungry, even though God is telling him to partake, to go kill and eat. Peter simply can't do it. After all, if this vision includes uh, snakes and lizards and, and birds, I don't know if I really blame Peter anyway, but, but it seems that the Lord had a feeling that Peter might respond like this because God sends this vision not once, not twice, but three times in a row. And God's voice says, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Or as, a, as Eugene Peterson says in his Bible paraphrase the message, if God says it's okay... It's okay. And even after seeing this vision three times in a row, Peter still doesn't quite seem to get the point. He's still clinging to his stubbornness. He's still clinging to the old traditions. But then Peter receives word from a few servants about Cornelius' invitation to come and visit his home. And so Peter responds to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and he goes with the servants, and he, he enters a Gentile man's house. And Peter is slowly starting to understand the voice that told him, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. If God says it's okay, it's okay. Peter begins to understand that God wasn't just making unclean food clean. He was calling for Peter to include the Gentile people into the fold, to change. Peter overcomes his stubbornness. He realizes the importance of changing this old tradition to make a way for something new, to make a way for something better. This can be hard for us. It can be hard for us to overcome our stubbornness and to embrace change. But change is inevitable. It's going to happen whether we like it or not. One example of change that we see in our world today is through the evolution of music. Music changed in 1930 with the invention of vinyl records. Now, I love records, but I have to admit they are not the most practical way to listen to music. You have a lot of equipment. You have a turntable, a stereo. Uh, you can't really take it with you in your car. It's not very easy to transport. Um, you have to get up in the middle of the album and you have to flip it over to the other side. Um, plus, you have to move a needle to skip songs, right? And then on top of that, vinyl records can get scratched up pretty easily, too. 
So there's some good things about vinyl records, but there's a lot of things that, you know, could be improved on. And then music changed again in 1963 with the invention of cassette tapes. Now, uh, cassette tapes are in some ways a little bit better. Uh, they're smaller, they're more transportable. You could actually listen to them in your car. You could have a Walkman even, and you could listen to the cassette tape on your Walkman. But it wasn't really easy to just skip forward to the next song. You had to press the fast forward button. Uh, plus, sometimes the tape would get warped and, and messed up, and you'd have to wind the tape back up. So there's some improvements, but still a lot to be desired with cassette tapes. And then music changed again in 1982 with the invention of CDs, and CDs were great. Uh, you could listen to them in a boombox, in your car, on your stereo. You could even upload them onto your computer. And it was easy to just skip right to the next song. But you know, there's still a few issues with it. They could break, they could get scratched, and you, you had to carry a case of all your CDs with you everywhere you went. And then in, in 2001, the iPod came out. And the first version of the iPod could hold 1,000 songs on a 10-hour battery. Portable, lightweight, you could carry it with you wherever you go. Your music is always right there, the click of a button. And that's kind of where we are today. We, we can digitally stream music directly from our phones. Each of these inventions brought forth a big change. And so as we navigate change inside the church, there are three specific questions that are posed by leadership expert Ron Heifetz that we can ask when it comes to change. Number one, what do we need to keep doing no matter what? Number two, what might we need to stop doing as we go forward? And number three, what new things do we need to start doing to adapt to the emerging reality? These three questions help us navigate our purpose as a church in an ever-changing world. That first question, what is absolutely essential for us to keep doing no matter what? This question gets to the heart of who we are, our mission, our purpose, our calling as a congregation. What are the, the most essential things that we need to keep doing going forward? The second question, what are the things we may need to stop doing? So this question addresses those things that aren't absolutely essential. These are the things that we've been doing maybe just because we've always done it that way. But maybe we didn't want to stop them because we didn't want to upset anybody. Uh, so what are those things that we might need to lay aside, to let go of, to stop doing, or at least stop doing them in the way that we've always done them? And then the third question, what changes have we already made that we want to carry forward? What further changes might we need to make going forward? What are the things that we are learning and doing that we want to continue to do? These are important questions, and, and I hope that we can spend some time prayerfully discerning, not only for our church, but for our own lives at home, at work, at school, where might God be calling us to set aside our toxic stubbornness so that we can be open and willing to try something new, to bring new people into the church and fulfilling new ways of reaching others for Christ? The Holy Spirit can surprise us sometimes. The Spirit moves without warning and brings forth radical transformation. 
sometimes that transformation can make us a little uncomfortable. But it's clear that the Holy Spirit had brought Peter and Cornelius together. So how might the Holy Spirit be working in our lives today, bringing about radical transformation and change?